So, Mark. Yeah. I want to take a moment before we start this week's episode to talk about next week's episode. Un precedented. It's pretty wild. I know normally we talk about the next week at the end of the episode, but now we're taking it to the beginning. We're upsetting the norms, throwing people off. Or if we record out of order, we make jokes about an episode that we haven't recorded, which I guess also kind of counts. Yeah, but we haven't done that in a while. Yeah, it's been a few months. Yeah. Anyway, the reason I want to do this is because next week we are doing Charlie Chaplin's film Modern Times. A thing that I'm really excited about, it's almost a silent movie, although not quite. And I think it's going to be a really cool one for us to talk about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I have never seen a Charlie Chaplin film. Oh, they're fun. I haven't seen a lot of silent films. Maybe none. A lot of people haven't. And one of the reasons we want to do this is because we want to spotlight this really cool service called Canopy. That's Canopy spelled with a K. And this is not an ad read. We are, of course, sponsored by Square Apron, the tyrannical mobster-like institution that is forcing us to do this current episode. But Canopy actually is a really cool service that you can access through your public library. So again, that's canopy.com, K-A-N-O-P-Y. And you log in with a library card and you can access tons of film history to stream for free. And one of the things you can watch there is Modern Times. So if you want to follow along with what we're doing, if you're interested in checking out some older films, some classic stuff, you can log on to Canopy. It's a really cool service, and we're hoping some people become aware of it thanks to the show. Yeah, it's insane what movies they have, because they have a range from, like, Nosferatu to First Reformed. They have the entire A24 library. Except for one that I looked for, and I was upset that they didn't have it and i forget which one it was it's really new okay i know most of it is on there maybe even eighth grade i don't know if they have eighth grade yet they may not have that yet Can't but it's a pretty K. incredible selection they've they got florida them? project they've got first reformed which i've raved about on the show they have ladybird yes they do and then they've also got old stuff they've got stuff from the criterion collection like seven samurai and they've got some of this classic Chaplin silent film era stuff. So it's a really, really cool service. Yeah, I have not used it yet because I very recently found out about it and I'm excited to try it out with Modern Times. It's pretty great. We're going to be doing it. We hope you join in on that. We really want to show to public libraries that people care about streaming film history because Netflix and a lot of these other services don't really carry stuff older than 1985. Yeah, it's hard to find any classic movies. Amazon has a couple, I'd say more than Netflix does, but it's still very disappointing how little they have. So Canopy is performing a really valuable public service for free for anyone with a library card. Important to know, too, they have apps for your phone. They have it on Roku's. I'm not sure which other ones they have, but I think a lot of smart TVs have Canopy apps. So this is us. It's not an ad. It's a public service announcement. We hope you join us next week for Modern Times. But time to talk about dragons. Because, unbelievably, hashtag the dream lives. Welcome to We Love the Love, Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated, committed, absolutely devoted to examining the most pressing issues of our day in the year of our Lord, 2019. Does Hollywood romance make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? You know what? It doesn't matter if it's the main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. Either way, we will dig in. We will see what is there and we will not stop until we found a conclusive answer.
I've started checking Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic while you do that, and you do it long enough that I have time to check both. I have no regrets. I will not apologize for my enthusiasm or my commitment to our quest, even if it is a cursed element of our quest brought on by the malevolent force that is Tony A. Anthony, Vice President of Marketing, Television, and Podcasts at Square Apron. We appreciate their sponsorship, but I'm pretty wary of the threats they're making. It's a dicey situation. Anyway, we have a guest. Yay! After way too long, because she has, like, a life and (sighs) other things to do or something, we finally have our third roommate back, Claire. Hi, everybody. I've been waiting for, like, I would say 15 minutes to be introduced, and that's the longest that I've ever stayed quiet with a conversation with the three of us, so it was really hard. Or maybe just in general? Maybe just in general. (laughs) I'm probably dead. Like, is this the afterlife? (laughs) It's been so long since you were on the show, and I don't fully understand this busyness because like i had time to go to the movies four times last weekend that's true but i mean today we were blessed with a miraculous snow day which is why i'm here and i'm i'm happy to be doing something on a snow day with you because i feel like snow days for will are just like this tradition this like momentous experience like he gets prepared the night before like being a teacher on a snow day is an amazing thing i sit around and watch movies yeah it's great don't forget the drinking part. But also, recording the podcast is an excellent snow day activity, so I'm so glad that I was set free from work, and then I can do this with you guys. Woohoo! And this week, of course, under the orders of Mr. Anthony, we are covering the next in our ongoing saga in the DreamWorks Animation Library, 2010's film, How to Train Your Dragon. By far the best Pixar we've watched. It is a DreamWorks film, and it shows. Never mind. I don't know how I even said that. No, this is a very DreamWorks movie, but it manages to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that usually come with a DreamWorks movie. It is far and away the best one we've watched. It has a plot. It does. It has a plot that isn't just making references to real world things. What? Crazy. It's really unbelievable what basic storytelling functions you're capable of when you try. Mm -hmm. That said, the one basic storytelling function that this movie really sucks at is the one we'll be discussing today. Hey! Is romance a basic storytelling function? I think when you anchor your character motivation around it, yes. That's And we're told at the beginning of the movie that a main part of Hiccup's desire to kill a dragon is to get a girlfriend. True, yeah. Yeah. Good point. It's also worth noting that I think one of the ways this movie had a boost is that it is not an original story. And it's the first adaptation we've seen from DreamWorks since Shrek. Yeah, I was just Wikipediaing. Wikipediaing? I don't know what the verb is, but it's based on a series of novels by Cresta Cowell. Novels is a generous term. They're books for young readers. Books for young readers are novels. I don't know. I feel like there's like <laughs> chapter books are different from novels, and there's like a weird thing before chapter books. And I don't know exactly where these fall. I'm sure that anybody who works in children's media or entertainment would have a bone to pick with you over that distinction. Chapter book is a categorization that publishers use. But and it's separate from novel or within Yes, novel? separately. So it's like books that are written specifically to train children how to read, where there's like a more focus on just basic grammar that you can point to, too. I mean, is Harry Potter a chapter book? No. There is a strict definition of novel, in theory, that I don't know, what, but it what, exists. What makes Harry Potter not a chapter book? 
look. Length is part of it. Right. But, like, you look at something like, say, Captain Underpants. Right, right. Which right. is which is something I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But it was structured around very short chapters that move you along through a usually serialized story. Right. With the more pictures. Children. With more pictures a lot of the time. Not always, but Not sometimes. always. Well, to be fair, I've never seen any of the How to Train Your Dragon books. So I don't know from personal experience whether I would describe them more as a novel or a chapter book. But I'm interested in the distinct distinction between the two. But anyway, this is a tangent. <laughs> it's worth noting DreamWorks bought the rights to the books in 2004, six years before this came out. And at that time, there were two of the official How to Train Your Dragon books. There was also the picture book. Hiccup the Viking who was seasick, which doesn't have any dragons in it, but came out before How to Train Your Dragon. Mm -hmm. And by the time the movie came out, there were seven for ultimately a total of 11 of them. And at first, the movie was a pretty close adaptation of the first book, which is pretty significantly different from the movie, in large part because by the time the books start, they've already integrated dragons into the culture of Berk. Mm -hmm. And so the movie is about a culture that is at war with dragons. The books, especially the first one, is about Hiccup having to learn to wrangle a dragon and ride it as part of a rite of passage or else he won't be accepted into the community, almost like Avatar-style, like he has to learn to ride one of the Awol. The Taruk Makto. Exactly. Mokto. As Will said when he first started riding Toothless. It's clearly a Taruk Makto scene. I mean, yeah. But it's not like every time a person learns to ride a dragon, it's referencing Avatar. No, and this isn't. But, but it's it is, a very similar scene. It is. It's also worth noting that Avatar kind of plays a role in the release of this movie. Because this movie comes out in March of 2010. So it's four months after Avatar. And this is the second DreamWorks movie to be released in 3D after Monsters vs. Aliens. I just made a face at will for the fact that Monsters vs. Aliens exists and we have to watch it. I know nothing about it. Wait, this is the second DreamWorks movie to be released in 3D ever? Yes. In 2010? Yes. Wow, that is much later than I thought. So Avatar is December 2009. Okay. And Avatar really changes the game on 3D. Well, what about like, what about Spy Kids 3D? Wasn't that the first 3D movie? I mean, it and depends that was the on... the early 2000s, It right? depends on what you mean by 3D movie. There are 3D movies in the 50s where you're wearing the blue and red glasses. I didn't know that it was that old. Yeah. Muppet Vision 3D in Disney World is from the early 90s. So what makes this only the second 3D movie if those 3D movies have been around since the 50s? This is the second film that DreamWorks Animation released in 3D. Okay. And so you see this 3D technology in the 50s with the blue and red glasses, and it's pretty gimmicky. But it never really catches on until in the 2000s, there's a real effort using digital filmmaking to try to bring it back with a little more depth, a little more sophistication, less of the like something shooting out on the screen at you and more of you're getting layers on the screen. And Spy Kids 3D to an extent, although that's doing some of the gimmicky stuff too. The trailer was really heavy on, like, the arm is coming out of the screen at you, if you remember that. But particularly animation studios start pushing for, we can add dimension to this without it being gimmicky. Like Jeffrey Katzenberg at DreamWorks was a big advocate of 3D filmmaking. But then Avatar comes out in 2009 and blows the doors wide open. People realize, wow, this can add really incredible visuals to a film that you weren't expecting. But then also, the upcharge for a 3D ticket shows film studios you can make a lot of money by putting things in 3D. And so at the time that this movie is coming out, there's a huge fight among the film studios and the theater owners because DreamWorks and Paramount, who's their distributor at the time, are really determined to get How to Train Your Dragon shown in 3D. And so they tried to tell theaters that theaters that have a 3D screen 
need to show how to train your dragon or else they wouldn't be given the 2D version of the movie as well. So you had to show it. But at the same time, a lot of those theaters were still showing Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, which was making crazy amounts of money. And Warner Brothers had post-converted Clash of the Titans into 3D, opening a week later. And so that's one thing that happened in 3D filmmaking, where after Avatar blows up, studios said, oh, we can make a lot of money with 3D movies. So we're going to take movies we already shot normally and digitally convert them to 3D which usually leads to a lower quality 3D picture. But in the wake of Avatar, they were able to make more money with this 3D upcharge, but it led to this big feud among the studios around the time this movie was coming out. So you're saying they had to fight over 3D theater space? Exactly. Okay, but who won the fight? Like, did they have to move their release date? Like, what was the result of that? They all just came out and were really cranky at each other. Jeffrey Katzenberg was making a stink at Warner Brothers for the post-conversion because he was saying, that's not a real 3D movie. You shouldn't be hogging 3D screen space. Because he felt, on their hand, they had put a lot of work into 3D technology for How to Train Your Dragon. They hired Roger Deakins, who is one of the most nominated cinematographers in Academy history. He finally won last year for Blade Runner 2049. They hired him as a visual consultant to help them make the visuals of the movie and to make them look really good. And they wanted people to see it in the way it was intended to be seen. And they felt like they were being squeezed out by a post-converted eight-week process. Also, a terrible movie. I have not seen Clash of the Titans. Truly awful. It was one of the earlier movies I went to a theater specifically to laugh at. So what's the end of the 3D movie story? Like, are they still popular now? Like, what's the what's the trend on 3D? Do we just notice it less? Or are people sick of it? Because I, I mean, I don't notice when a movie is released in 3D anymore. I just assume that many of them, like at least action movies, will be released in 3D and that I won't pay the extra money for it. So I don't even notice when something is released in 3D. So studios are a little more specific about which movies they are putting out in the 3D, where for about a year after Avatar, basically everything is getting that post-conversion to get that upcharge. Audiences get smarter pretty quickly. So now you see 3D drawn attention to when it's integrated into the production process. So you take a film like Gravity, or Life of Pi that were shot with 3D cameras designed to be viewed that way. And it's really adding something to what you see on the screen. Doctor Strange was a movie that incorporated 3D visual effects really well into what it was doing. What you don't see is like a Mission Impossible movie being post-converted into 3D to try to get people to pay a little bit more. So the studios aren't doing it quite as aggressively as they were in 2010. So is the new, I mean, I assume that part of the reason that you guys are doing this movie now is because the sequel is coming out. Right, it opens on Friday as this movie comes out. Right. Episode comes out. So is that going to be in 3D? I believe it will be. DreamWorks has released all of their movies in 3D since How to Train Your Dragon. It's pretty common in the animated film world. It's probably easier in the animated film world, just based on how much more it's done. I think it's these things that are being developed on computers can take those dimensions that they're already creating as they're building digital environments and render them more fully to be viewed in 3D, as opposed to shooting something on a 2D camera, which is how most live-action films are shot, and digitally converting it after the fact, which takes a lot of time and takes a lot of effort to do well. Okay, that makes sense. What were the big 3D releases this year? Mortal Engines was IMAX 3D. Fallout was 3D. Was it? Or was it just IMAX? I think it was just IMAX. That was shot in large part on IMAX cameras. Yeah, that was one that was like, let's do it in IMAX in terms of the marketing. What you see mostly in terms of 3D releases are animated movies and things with 
a lot of special effects. So like Black Panther had a 3D release. That was actually a really good conversion. A lot of times when you see these 3D conversions, the picture is darkened. I think Black Panther actually was a little bit lighter in 3D than in 2D. But if you look at the list, you're looking at Wrinkle in Time, Sherlock Gnomes, Pacific Rim, Ready Player One, things that have a lot of digital elements in the movie. Why did we not watch Tomb Raider in 3D? I mean, I'm upset that we didn't watch Tomb Raider eight times in theaters because that movie rules. It's so fun. Yeah, I hope they locked Alicia Vikander into like a 20 film contract because I want to keep watching them. At least two more. Yeah. It wasn't a huge failure, but it wasn't a massive success, if I remember correctly. That's the Lara Croft remake? Yes. International box office really did not come through for us as much as we needed. I just want to say, I know Mark has seen this, but when you go to Cambodia to the temple where they filmed the original Tomb Raider, there is like a photo line. Like, it's not a full photo booth, but there is literally like a line of people and then a guide who's like snapping photos in front of the like Tomb Raider tree. It's like the Harry Potter cart in King's Cross. But should we actually talk about How to Train Your Dragon? Sure. Yeah. So it's directed by Chris Sanders and Dean DeBloy, who had previously written and directed Lilo and Stitch for Disney. They came over and really were the impetus for shifting the story to be more of an original story and less tied to the book. One of the big things they did was they aged the story up a little bit from being about a little kid to being about a more adolescent character. Other fun fact, by the way, Chris Sanders is the voice of Stitch in the Lilo and Stitch empire. In like all of their media. Yup. If you look at his Wikipedia page, it's like directing two movies and voicing Stitch a million times. Yeah, there is a lot of content with that series. It's kind of wild. There's a TV show. I mean, there's a TV show of this too. This is one of the early DreamWorks TV shows based on one of their movies. And then he's stitching a lot of the video games too. It's interesting that it's connected to Lilo and Stitch because there's there is something Stitch like about the dragons, like the idea of like a creature that's equal parts repulsive and weird and adorable, like pet. Yes, although I hate Stitch a lot more than <laughs> this dragon. I like really? the dragon generally. Why do you hate Stitch? Stitch is a annoying, slobbering menace. Well, this is. I think this is coming from your dislike of animals. Yeah, I think it's because you don't <laughs> like pets. It's based on the dog, which is why the slobber. It's a slobbering menace you might like cats more which is why you like toothless more than stitch it's also not that slobbery he does slobber he's like like radioactive spit or something i guess very slobbery very slobbery i guess i'm just used to dogs so it barely registers with their slobber your dog person is showing whereas when i watch toothless i'm like he's a kitty (laughs) i also even find the ad campaign around him i don't know if you remember but the ad campaign for lilo and stitch was like stitch destroying the previous decade of disney movies a thing that had nothing to do with Lilo and Stitch. Well, now you're just upset because you love all the decades of Disney movies and Stitch attacked them. I just don't understand it. It's a bizarre ad campaign. It worked on me. I thought they were really funny. Like when he picked Jasmine up. But it had nothing to do with the movie. So? It worked. And isn't that what matters in the end? I have to say that I don't love Lilo and Stitch as much as other people love Lilo and Stitch. But Stitch is cute. Great soundtrack. I mean, yeah, Elvis Elvis is good. (laughs) No, it's Elvis and Hawaiian music. That Yeah, that, what is it, Hawaiian roller coaster ride? Still a jam. I have that on my Spotify. (laughs) Like, I listen to it pretty regularly. Along with uh, Romantic Flight, which is a song in How to Train Your Dragon, which I love. And it's worth noting, this movie was, in addition to being nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars, was also nominated for Best Original Score. Mm -hmm. It wound up losing that to The Social Network in a really good year. The other nominees are Inception, 
the King's Speech, and 127 Hours. That's a lot of good score. Yeah. It lost Best Animated Feature to that year's animated behemoth, Toy Story 3, which was also nominated for Best Picture. That was such a good movie. Toy Story 3? Yeah. I mean, How to Train Your Dragon is also, like, that was a very competitive year because How to Train Your Dragon, like, really holds up compared to, like, some of the other children's movies that I've rewatched recently, aka Madagascar. <laughs> oh, man. This was so much better than Madagascar. I my childhood fave, Madagascar. <laughs> I was so ready to be disappointed again, to have my heart, like, wrenched out of my chest. I felt so guilty making you watch that because I could see as the movie goes on, your face just get sadder and sadder as you realize this is a bad movie. I don't know what I loved about it when I was nine, but it was definitely not there as I watched it as an adult. You know, Madagascar's a bad movie. How to Train Your Dragon, pretty good. It's nice. We've seen so many bad DreamWorks movies that also made a lot of money. Yeah. It's nice to see a good one that also made a lot of money. Also, this one is particularly good because it's about me, because I look identical to the main character, Hiccup. (laughs) We have the same hair. I, too, am a a little boy that craves romance and is bad at dragon training. I don't know. Basically, if and when they make the Broadway musical, I think I should play Hiccup. (laughs) They did make an arena show of it, like How to Train Your Dragon live in, like, stadiums, where there are, like, people acting it out, and they had these big, like... Puppets? Puppety, robot-y dragons. I love puppets. This is perfect for me. It's pretty cool. You can watch the whole show on YouTube. I watched a good chunk of it this morning. Oh, I don't know if I'm that committed, but um, yeah. But why? Why? I guess arena shows are just faster to bring together than a musical and make more money and are more portable. Like, why Why go the arena route as opposed to the musical route? Um, For starters, you're leaning into spectacle there. You're leaning into like, look at all the cool crap we can do with dragons. Right. You also don't have to write a bunch of original songs. Hmm. It's easier to adapt a Disney musical to the stage because you already have the music. Right. This movie doesn't have that. True. And DreamWorks needs something that's like Disney on ice. Like, Disney has the behemoth of Disney on ice that tours forever. Whereas DreamWorks, this is their first real spectacle show, which is very different market than a musical. Yeah. And I think you can see that in the work that goes into the animation. This is a much better movie than the other DreamWorks ones we've been watching. I still don't think it's up to the level of what Pixar is doing in the years leading up to it, but I think the hiring of Deacons and particularly the animations of the dragons in flight really shows a care and a craft to visual spectacle, which is why Katzenberg was so determined that people see it on the best screen possible. And just the dragons themselves, even the ones they just talk about are really cool. And that helps the movie be good. I will say biggest knock on the movie is that the dragon book introduces lots of really cool kinds of dragons that we never get to see. They might show up in the later ones. I mean, we're going to find out. It's interesting that like, I think we find out when the kids are riding their dragons that the dragons are created to match the trainees. Like the two-headed dragon is for the two twins, you know, or the big like grumpy dragon is for the round kid, you know? So it feels like they only made those five or so dragons to match the characters. But I too would have liked to see a wider selection of the dragon. I like the one that sets itself on fire. <laughs> right, that's awesome. That thing is insane. And they I talk about the ones tiny that, like, mean one. <laughs> they talk about like ones that breathe like death smoke and things like that. I'm into it. And then there's Toothless, which is described as, what is it? The unholy offspring of lightning and death itself. And Love it. The so Night cute. Furies. Excellent. And he's too cute to be the offspring of death. He's adorable. But that's like cats, you know, like mean, vicious, but also I love them. 
Anyway, are we going to talk about the, the romance in this movie? Let's do it. Okay. So every episode, we break down the romantic plotline of the movie into the five points that best exemplify it. So for example, for a movie like How to Train Your Dragon, we will ignore a lot of the main plot of the movie to just talk about the romance between Claire's avatar, Hiccup, and the Viking girl, Astrid. Who is voiced by America Ferreira. I think she has like three lines. Yeah. She doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. Yeah. I don't remember. I'm hoping she had more to do in the second one and hopefully even more in the third one. Because it was disappointing how little Astrid you got in a way. I mean, ultimately the movie is really about Hiccup and Toothless. It's not a super plotty movie. It's a movie where just like, you know, Hiccup is is hanging out with the dragon and working on that. And then at the end, they're like, oh, there's this other big dragon thing we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of has like world building almost. Like much of the movie is spent discovering the world of dragons and discovering like, I don't know, Hiccup's relationship with Toothless. And we just delight in that so much. I didn't feel like it was slow. Like, even though there wasn't a major conflict, I was invested in all the little details we were learning about the dragon world. It's fun to watch people have pets. And I think that's what this movie shows us is that just watching a person bond with the dragon itself was good fodder for entertainment. But there's also other tension in the movie, like between Hiccup and his dad. So it's not like there's no conflict at all. Like the major conflict that sets this off is that Hiccup is super nerdy and he's a Viking. And so his driving force is wanting to fit in, wanting to make his dad proud and wanting to get with Astrid. So that's a great place for us to start off. Our first point in the romance of this movie. Please, two minutes. I'll kill a dragon. My life will get infinitely better. I might even get a date. The opening scene, we've got a lot of voiceover from Hiccup explaining who he is and what he wants. He's the son of Stoic the Vast, the leader of the Viking community of Berk. I'm pretty sure it's Burke. They pronounce it Berk. This is Burke. Okay. I mean, they do in a Scottish accent. Exactly. It depends on who's talking. This is Burke. Which, inexplicably, all the adults have, and then all the teens have American accents, and it's supposed to be Viking, so I don't really know what's happening. But, I mean, we can't get too in the weeds about, like, what is accurate, because there is no accurate way to portray a world with dragons. This is your... That is true. I'm <laughs> I think the most interesting part is just the full generational divide in terms of accents. Well, the teens are more active on the internet, so they're hearing dialects <laughs> I was about to say, in a world pre-mass media, I don't know what would unify them in a different accent. Either that or they're all like first generation Burkeans. Like they're Berkians. all of them immigrated from Scotland and then had children and then they're in America or I don't know what this alternate timeline is. Hey Claire, it's clearly established that they are the seventh generation on Burke. You remember that? Somehow You're that number stuck in my head. Is amazing. All right, all right. So the first point we've got. Nope, cutting this off. No. In the first point, we've got Stoic the Vast is the leader of Berk. This is Berk. You this can isn't stop as bad that. as I thought it was going to be. And his son is Hiccup. It's getting worse. The boy who looks like Claire. <laughs> now, I don't even know what's happening now. I think now. this is a Northern English accent, actually. And Hiccup wants to now kill nothing. a dragon. <laughs> now you're just purposely leaving off an H in an unnatural way. Hiccup. Hiccup. And he tells us from the beginning of the movie that he wants to do it. What is this now? So that <laughs> this is not anything, this Will. Just nothing. give up. This is not an accent. Take the L, man. In part so that he can get a girlfriend. 
Okay. We know that he's in love with Astrid because it's during a fight with dragons. They're attacking. We see Astrid throwing water on the fire. She's looking really cool. She's got skulls for a belt. That's how you know she's a badass. Yeah, she's a cool girl because men like cool girls. And you get a full slow-mo Astrid turning away from an explosion, flicking her hair behind her head. We're living in a post-Iron Man world. Yeah, it's played fully straight of just like, look how cool Astrid is. This is why Hiccup's in love with her and you should be too. You've really got to take the time to see the belt made of skulls. Yeah, the belt made of skulls is like a very subtle hint at her personality. What kind of skulls do you think those are? Is like shrews? No, it's like a Hot Topic kind of situation. You know Um, how they have But they don't have Hot Topic on Berk. This is Berk. They are in America, as we previously established. <laughs> There's 100% a hot topic on Burke. Burke. This is Burke. It is not Burke. <laughs> I think it they're like... It snows nine months out of the year, but they're still a hot topic. I think they're like little mole skulls. <laughs> it's really hot taken. because of the dragons and the fire. Okay, let's get on. <laughs> let's move off this topic. <laughs> All right. Oh, hey! no. Okay, you think there are shrew skulls on her belt? Yeah. What if they're the tiny itty bitty dragons? Maybe she's like killed a shit ton of those and made them into jewelry. Even cooler. Wow, she really <laughs> now sounds like a full psychopath. She yeah. clearly is. She kind of is a psychopath. Like, she hits Hiccup twice. We're going to talk saying. about that. Okay, let's keep going. So, point number two. Hi, I normally don't care what people do, but you're acting weird. <laughs> well, weirder. Hiccup is kind of an outcast because he's not a very intense Viking. He's thin, and the others are muscly. Except for Astrid, who is also very thin. Yeah. <laughs> and TJ Miller, who is also very thin. And all of the young Vikings, except for one, they are all very thin. Yeah, but they make him like his arms are noodles in this movie he's scrawny he's basically the wimpy kid from diary of a wimpy kid he can barely carry that one sword and this is the type that the actor who voices him whose name is jay baruchel jay baruchel this is like the type that he plays always like they were probably like writing the script and they were like we know who will voice this character so in point two hiccup is training to become a dragon hunter like the rest of the community of Berk. This is Berk. Yeah, this is the idea of Hiccup's master who he's apprenticing under, the blacksmith slash school teacher in dragon killing. Can we talk about this guy? Gobber? He is awesome. Gobber or Globber? Something like that. So he has like a peg leg, but he also has a missing arm that like he has different attachments for. So sometimes it's an axe. Sometimes it's just like a stick. Sometimes it's a tankard that he fills with mead. It's great. He's like the original Inspector Gadget, but one of his attachments is just a jug for mead. He's got like serious Hagrid slash Mad-Eye moody vibes going on he's a combination of those two he's the fun goofy sidekick of the chief i would also like to say that he taught them how to kill dragons the way my dad taught me how to swim which is to just throw you in (laughs) because that's the best way you learn it worked for the dragons and for me i can now swim quite well so hiccup is pretty bad at training to be a dragon killer. He's been thrown in. They're like, here, fight these dragons. Grab a weapon. And Pegleg Pete with the tankard hand is like, you'll be fine. You can save Berk. This is Berk. 
And Astrid is kind of annoyed with him because he's really bad at it. She's like, what are you doing? Get out of the way. Let us do our job. Yeah, I think her exact words are, is this a joke to you? Which is kind of a rude thing to say to someone who is just clearly bad at something, like, outside of their control. It's worth noting, by that point, Hiccup has started working with Toothless, the Night Fury that he captured in the opening battle, and he's been learning things that dragons like that they don't. For example, he's learned that they don't like eels. And so he's been trying to use the gimmicks that he's learned with Toothless to get through this training. Like, he'll hide an eel in his clothes to get dragons to go away from him. And so while he is using strategies that are getting him through these trials, to an outside observer like Astrid, it looks like he's just screwing around. Yeah, because at one point he holds up a thing of grass and somehow beats the dragon. It's catnip. Yeah, they're supposed to be cats, and so it's dragon version of catnip. Dragnip? Dragnip. So for Astrid, she tells him right after she asks if he thinks it's a joke, she says, figure out what side you're on. Are you here to play with these dragons or to kill them for the good of Berk? Berk. So it's interesting because, you know, the dragons are animals, but we're supposed to see the conflict between the humans and the animals as this war, and you have to choose sides. So in some ways, it's kind of about, like, how we treat animals. Because as Hiccup is training his dragon, he learns that they've just been afraid the whole time, and if you you understand them and treat them with kindness, then they won't hurt you. So there's, like, a mini little naturalist lesson in there. It's ambiguous how much intelligence the dragons have. More than the average animal, but not full human level. Right. Like more than a dog or a cat, where they can have expressive conversations with humans, but they're not fully like cognitive thinkers. Right. And so that communication with Toothless is what Hiccup is using to eventually rise to the top of the dragon fighting class. In a non-violent way. Which apparently no one's like, whoa, look at him use all these non-violent methods. We should talk to him about it. They're really just registering that he is coming out on top. And so people are really excited about it and proud of him until we get to point number three. Uh, what are you doing here? I want to know what's going on. No one just gets as good as you do. Especially you. Basically, Astro. Oh, sorry. You want to go ahead? Astrid's discovery, (laughs) as Will titled it. So... Astrid is suspicious of Toothless because he's been up to something. He keeps leaving at weird times and like during training, he'll be like, okay, we good? Bye, I gotta go. Yeah, it's kind of ambiguous in this one if she's really following him or he just kind of runs into her in the woods. I think she's tracking the direction that he's been going regularly. It's worth noting that she's also really jealous because she wants to win dragon training. Right, she's put in the work. Yeah, I mean, it's not that he hasn't put in the work. He just found a better way. He's playing smarter, not harder. But anyway, the point is that it's not that she's like, oh, I wonder what he's doing. She is upset that he's winning and wants to know how he's cheating. And what we see in point three is a wild pivot in how Astrid feels about both Hiccup and Dragons. Oh, within five minutes? This is the most aggressive turn anyone takes in the movie. But they do listen to Romantic Flight, which is an amazing song, which is probably why she fell in love with both uh, Hiccup and the Dragon, because of the amazing score. So Astrid discovers Toothless with Hiccup. Toothless is the... Night Fury Dragon, again, that Hiccup had captured and has been working with over time. Toothless gets his name in part, I think, from the fact that he has retractable teeth? Yep. Also, he it's captured in an almost accidental way, where Toothless uses this thing to bring him down, tries to free him, but... Well, his original objective at the beginning is to kill, is to kill a dragon. Right. But then Toothless gets captured in this, like, ravine because... 
his tail loses a fin-ish thing that grounds toothless. I think it was more of a Swedish thing. We're not going to respond to that. It's a rudder, essentially, and basically Hiccup builds him a rudder, which is how he's able to train him. But anyway, Astrid follows Hiccup, discovers that he is fraternizing with the enemy, dragons, and she's really upset, but then Hiccup essentially kidnaps her. I mean, uh, Toothless the dragon kidnaps Astrid and takes her on this beautiful whirlwind flight that changes her mind about both Hiccup and dragons. And part of the point of that is to stop her going to get the people of Berk to kill Toothless. Right. But over the course of this ride, they wind up soaring, tumbling, freewheeling around the island. And it's pretty incredible. They almost fall off at one point, but they're having a great time. And she winds up basically just by riding a dragon, thinking Hiccup is great and dragons are great and anyone who thinks otherwise is crazy. Yeah, it's not even like she gets a begrudging appreciation for this new way of thinking about dragons or that she learns to appreciate Hiccup's methods. It's that she goes from hatred to full-on love. It is a 180-degree turn. Will, was, it, was that a deliberate um, Aladdin magic carpet ride of reference? Course. Because that's basically... I don't make Disney references by accident. Anyway, but that's basically what this is, you know? It's the magic carpet ride equivalent that woos the girl and you have that stereotypical like, oh, she has to hang on so she feels safe, like back of a motorcycle and now she's in love kind of situation. I would say the difference is in the magic carpet ride in Aladdin, they are talking that whole time and Astrid and Hiccup really aren't able to because of the intensity of the ride they're going on. They're teens, Will. They don't need to talk. They feel everything through emotions and physicality. It is true that they are teens and this is about how quickly some teen relationships start. This is actually the first DreamWorks movie about teens. Prior to that, they were all about adults or anthropomorphic animals. Hmm, Or Shrek. That's interesting. Shrek is an adult. Because I feel like a lot of pop culture is about teens, but I guess that not a lot of animated movies are. So that's interesting. Anyway. Um, also worth noting, like I said earlier, this is one of the early DreamWorks movies to be spun off into a TV show, DreamWorks Dragons, which, according to what I read, bridges the gap from How to Train Your Dragon to How to Train Your Dragon 2, which on the one hand made me want to watch it. On the other hand, there are eight seasons. There's eight seasons of the TV show? Yeah. Oh my god. I love the movie. Like, I, f- I feel like if I watched an episode, I would watch all eight seasons. I don't know if I can commit to that in my adult life. But I'm pretty sure in it, Astrid and Hiccup maybe get engaged. I read a very short summary. Huh. Well... I mean, that would definitely give us... We should have watched all eight seasons as background research for their relationship. Well, it's after the first movie. Oh, okay. Well, we get a free pass then. So then at the end of the ride, they get down, and now Astrid is totally on board, and she punches Hiccup, and then she kisses him on the cheek. Which is how teens relate to each other. Exactly. That's how you know they're in love. Little cheek kiss. And punching, apparently. That comes back a lot in this show. Yeah, she's like... Promising to protect Toothless, make sure they're all good. It's gonna be great. No problems ever again. In the summary of DreamWorks Dragons on Wikipedia, Viking Teens is capitalized like it's a thing. It is a thing. Like Teen Titans? (laughs) Yeah. Viking Teens. The rest of the Viking Teens are put to the test. Speaking of being put to the test, in point four... That thing has wings. Okay, let's see if it can use them. Stoic the Vast and the rest of the Viking leaders are sailing off to kill all the dragons on the dragon island that Hiccup and Toothless had discovered. And they've actually kidnapped 
Toothless to guide them towards this island, leaving Hiccup and Astrid to figure out a solution that won't involve the death of all the dragons. Right, because we've seen that there's a mega dragon who's kind of like a hive queen and has control over the other dragons like almost a weird psychic control but right, not and the really. other dragons like steal livestock to feed to the queen so then the vikings don't know this and they get very overwhelmed by the size of this dragon meanwhile astrid is like hey everyone else would have killed toothless but you didn't because you're a good guy and you're a smart guy and you can find a plan that will save us all. She has a pretty good line, actually. What is that line where she's like, oh, what are you going to do? And he says, I don't know, something stupid. And she says, oh, you already did that. And he says, okay, something crazy. And then we go into the battle sequence. And they save the day. They save the day and their relationship. Aww. <laughs> and then point five. That's for scaring me. What? What is, what is it always going to be this way? The movie kind of ends with Astrid doing the whole punch and kiss thing. Yep. Roll she, credits. Because because he hurt himself and she's angry that he got hurt, but she still loves him. So they do a cheek kiss and yeah. then presumably live happily ever after. Although we have to watch eight seasons of a TV show and three, I mean, two more movies to find out what actually happens to them. Welcome to the next year of this show. This is actually now just a How to Train Your Dragons podcast. Can't <laughs> go wrong there. We will be covering each episode of DreamWorks Dragons. And you can watch along on Netflix. This will cover the- us until our episode-by-episode episode coverage of Hulu's Howard the Duck. Um, which we're not doing, but I think you should cover every novel written by Cressida Cowell, including the ones that are not about dragons. Um, we're definitely doing how... Oh, they're not novels, they're chapter books. Sorry. Right. So we'll definitely do How to Steal a Dragon's Jewel, because that one is the best title. Mm, I assume it's spelled (laughs) J-O-O-L. That's what the dragons have that makes them smoke. They're trying to relate to the Viking teens. Right, Viking teens! Viking teens. What does a Viking teen do when they're, like, on the weekend? Well, they jewel the dragon they dragon jewel and then they they enjoy this they go to hot topic and buy their shrew belts and someone help me out here <laughs> but you're doing so well no i'm really i'm really not what how do you end this thing how do we get off stop okay. the ride <laughs> so, uh, do we find the romance between hiccup and astrid believable i think we've established that we do not okay. we do not no wait okay counterpoint this is how all 14 year olds get together Literally. By killing a dragon? Okay, not by killing a dragon, but but like one of them has a crush and the other one is like, eh, okay. And then they casually da- no, no, kiss on the, what happens. the cheek. The other one doesn't go, okay. The other one is kidnapped, driven around for a while in the other person's vehicle, and then comes out in love. Okay, but I thought we were analyzing the romance separate from the like the events of the movie. But like that's what the pivot point is. They don't have any conversations for the pivot point. Okay, but imagine that that was just like a really cool motorcycle ride and they fell in love that's pretty incredible i would incredible. find that ridiculous i, f- I think she did mo- not consent to getting on the motorcycle i don't know about that part <laughs> but i think that many 14 year old girls if they were taken on a really cool motorcycle ride would come off of that motorcycle ride and punch the guy and kiss him on the cheek and then they would be dating if the dude or the motorcycle itself like this is what we're suggesting is the motorcycle grabs a girl throws her <laughs> on its back then the guy climbs on and they ride around together <laughs> And also the motorcycle is a dragon and the motorcycle is flying and they almost die. <laughs> right. Right. So Hashtag Viking teens. So believable. <laughs> so I want to hear both of your numbers on the scale of one to ten. Like four. 
I guess I've dug, dug myself into this hole now, so I have to rate it above a five. I'll give it a five then. There we go. What about you, Mark? I think I'm leading towards a four. Yeah. It would be lower if they were adults. Why would it be lower if they were adults? Because these are teens and they do fall in love very fast. Let it be known that Mark and I have no experience with teens other than being teens, whereas Will actually does. So you might know better how teens fall in love, but I'm pretty sure that Sky motorcycle rides are a way that teens court each other. Especially, yes, but they have especially to be consensual. Viking teens, TM. <laughs> yeah, remember, these are capital V, Viking, capital T, teens. But it was a, it was a non-consensual Sky. Guy motorcycle ride. I don't know why. I guess I sound hypocritical here, being like, why are you bringing consent into it? You're right. You're right. Non consensual, therefore, their entire love story is invalidated, including all eight seasons of the TV show and the two sequels. In which they do get engaged. I think we need to know how many times she punches and kisses him over the course of the series. Well, if we're going to talk about healthy relationships and consent, we should talk about the fact that you should not punch anyone, least of all the person that you're in a romantic relationship with. That seems like more of a red flag than the non-consensual Sky motorcycle. I think maybe she's like trying to do a like joke like barely tap punch but she's so intense from her dragon training that she's not aware of how to properly modulate her strength. I think she just displays a lot of her insecurities through aggression but we don't need to psychoanalyze Astrid right now. Let's move along. <laughs> Actually on that subject do we think Hiccup and Astrid are dateable? I mean Hiccup uh, is think, Claire. Think carefully before you answer this question because Hiccup <laughs> is me. <laughs> I'm gonna take whatever your answer is very personally. Uh, Hiccup, yes, because he's a blacksmith, and those are cool. I am a cool blacksmith, so <laughs> there you go. Astrid, no, because of the violence thing. <laughs> Astrid's probably a no for me, too, because she seems to be skinning small animals to make a belt of skulls. <laughs> also, she's pretty cold and closed off, so... Not great for you, Claire. She's really not my type. <laughs> but, Claire, if you did have to date one person from this movie, who would it be? We all know the answer. Oh, because I said multiple times that Stoic the Vast was sex. <laughs> and is played by Gerard Butler. <laughs> I didn't realize you were a, a butler girl. I I am a butler girl. Something so I'm, you're a big Geostorm fan. Absolutely not. <laughs> I would never go to a movie with the word Geo in the name. Geostorm, that sounds like it doesn't have any plot. It sounds like an action movie type situation. What about Geography B? Oh, a movie about Did you children. just make up that movie? That's the B-movie sequel. It's when B-movie <laughs> travels the world. Well, I would never watch a B-movie sequel. So I think we answered... <laughs> and if Gerard Butler... I still wouldn't watch a B-movie sequel with Gerard Butler, to be perfectly honest. But I will... I do like Gerard Butler. I'm, I'm into, like, the big, meaty, but also sweet and Scottish guys. I yeah. don't know. Anyway, so Stoic the Vast. I would date Stoic the Vast. What about you, Mark? I was going to say Gobber, the guy with the changeable hand. Yeah, me too. He seems so fun. I mean, you don't know what he could change that hand. That's the thing. I want to know what all the attachments are. <laughs> Girl, it could get pretty interesting. Girl know how to party. Yeah. Do we think Hiccup and Astrid would stay together based on this movie? Based on this movie, probably not. I don't know. There's like nothing to base it on. But I feel yeah. like the Viking, they probably couple off early. And I'm bearing, basing this off on absolutely nothing. But it feels like a very teen love and then you get married type There can't society. be that many people in Berk. Berk. It's true, but they only have about five years before she dies in childbirth based off of the time period. Oh, God. True. <laughs> I mean, there was only one other girl his age 
and she seemed less dateable. So they probably She's in a, like together. a Cersei Lannister kind of relationship. I don't know about that, but That is true. What is gonna happen to the population of Burke? Do Astrid and Hiccup have to repopulate the entire island? I, I mean, mean they are Vikings. Maybe they kidnap people. As I pointed out, there's not even that many adult women in the movie. Almost all the adults are men. So there's some weird gender and accent shit happening in the in the city of Berk. Burke. I think they kidnap people. I mean, probably. Maybe they lure them into the hot topic and then don't let them leave. Here's what I'm going to say. Romance, believable, and they stay together. I'm sticking to it. I'm taking a strong stance. As someone who has never been into a hot topic, I think that there are probably, like, trap doors in the back. They, like, lure you in with, like, t-shirts or something. And then they trap you, and then you're on Berk. And you have to live there as a Viking. I don't understand how hot topics are still open. Anyway, we don't have to get into all of that. Hot Topic is now, like, the main supplier of merchandise for things like, like they suicide s- squad <laughs> yeah they sell like drag queen merchandise harry potter merchandise it's less about goth stuff and more about where you go to find like official merch at the mall interesting fascinating so they they went from goth to capital counterculture to to culture Mainstream what is more culture. edgy than being corporate that's so true, especially in these days of, of the hipster mainstream. How how does this end? When do I get to stop talking about this, albeit lovely film? Well, I think that's probably it for this movie, then, if Claire is so determined to leave. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, again, we're doing Modern Times, so make sure you sign up for Canopy and check it out before the movie drops. It's going to be really, really cool. I think... People are going to like the movie. It's something different than we've done before, but it's cool. And also you'll have access to Canopy, which is a really incredible library. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps other people to find the show. Last question. Claire, what's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? Why do I have to go first? Because guests... Go first. Darn it. Okay, best piece of dating advice. I guess uh, kidnap someone, take them on a magic carpet slash dragon slash motorcycle ride in the sky, and the adrenaline will make them love you. Mark? I'm just going to say have a different kind of hand for every situation. Worked on me with Gobber. I think the real lesson I've learned, because Claire's was not super realistic, I think in the real world, it's have a flying motorcycle that you can scoop people onto. I th- is that a, a Hagrid reference? I uh, it's a How to Train Your Dragon reference. Everyone knows that Hagrid was great with the ladies, so I feel like <laughs> that's from some good advice to take from this movie. I mean, Stoic the Vast is basically Hagrid. Oh my God, am I attracted to Hagrid? <laughs> I really didn't need to think about that, Will. That's as good a place as any to close it out. So until <laughs> next time, I am a ginger. <laughs> I'm gay. In so. my defense, Hagrid is not played or voiced by Gerard Butler, which is another plus of Stoic the Vast. We're gonna be looking up Robbie Coltrane in this apartment next. <laughs> Between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Bye.